Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Before we kick off the show with my first guest, Sans Hall, about her book, Reclaiming My Decade Lost in Scientology, I do want to tell you that I'm feeling it too. Yesterday was a really, really horrific, tragic day. And um, even if you didn't follow, you know, Kobe's career, you can't help but feel human and feel every emotion in all of this. So my heart's go, my heart goes out to everyone who has been affected by this. We're going to talk about this, uh, this huge loss at 9.30. And uh, so stand by for that conversation. So right now I'm going to bring on my first guest, Sands Hall. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much and congrats on your latest book, Reclaiming My Decade Lost in Scientology. Thank you. This must have been hard to write, or maybe you were feeling brave. I mean, tell me about that mindset in writing this. Well, I think that what was interesting is I don't think I set out to write it. What happened was I had left the Church of Scientology, and I was A, scared, and B, mortified that I had managed to spend a decade of my life, and I felt that I had squandered or lost those years, and I didn't talk about them. For a good 10 years, many of my closest friends I'd moved to a small town did not know about that involvement. But I realized you can't really live like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I began to, because writing is a, a way I explore and look at things, I began to write about those years and what got me involved, and little by little, I realized maybe this is a memoir. I mean, I couldn't actually talk about what I was writing about to people. I was so embarrassed by the topic, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, eventually, you know, I was able to confess that I was actually as if I was a was a murderer rather than a pilgrim oh my that I had spent these years. And, um, and so that once I was able to claim it like that, then it, it was uh, marvelous to be able to, to launch forward into and to really learn so much from the fact that I was writing about it and what the years had actually given me that I thought were lost. At what point in your life did you find yourself gravitating towards Scientology? Um, were you in your 20s, 30s? I mean, what was going on? Great question. It was late 20s. I think in our late 20s, there's often a little existential uh, crisis where you realize that I sometimes think of, of Robert Frost's poem about the two roads diverged in the yellow wood, and that's a certain point around your late 20s where you realize for a wa- long time you can look back and kind of think, I could go back to that branch in the road and take the other one. Yes. But at a certain point you realize you can't. You've, you've made too many turns. You've, made, you've had too many forks. So I think that's, oh my gosh, I am now launched on what my life is going to be. So there's, I think that's a very common issue around the late uh, 20s, early 30s. But in my own particular case, it was really exacerbated by the fact that my beloved older brother, who had been kind of a mentor for me and led the way into, you know, theatrical endeavors and all this stuff I'd done with my life, um, he suffered a terrible accident, which basically gave him a brain injury from which he never recovered. And it took me a while to understand that I would not have my brother back. Oh, I'm so sorry. It was horrible. Thank you so much for understanding. And I think that loss, Janine, I think that loss spun me into a kind of vertigo, Mm -hmm. and Scientology offered order. It offered structure. That is something it really (laughs) offers. Mm -hmm. It was 
like most, you know, fundamental kind of religions. It's like, do this, don't do this. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of, I think that's a reason for the rise of them in our world, because they offer this quote-unquote clarity, you know, which of course is not clarity, because you need to really sort out what you need to do, rather sure. than someone else tell you. But yes. that was a very, very powerful pull for me, as it was ordered. It was the universe could be ordered, and at that point I felt like it was nothing but, but chaos. Wow. What what a start to that. So what what point did you decide, you know what, I think I'm in too far and I want to get out? Oh, I felt that. I think one of the most horrible things, really, is that I felt that so often and so chronically. And one of the things that I perhaps you and your listeners, you know, have some now looked into a bit about cults and abusive relationships and their similarities. And amongst the issues, and I think that similar, is that there's always something wrong with you. If you could just fix the way you looked at this issue, then you could be happy. And Scientology often brought that up. It was like, well, you're having doubts, but that's you. It's not us. That's you. And if you could just sort that out, then you'll be fine. So I would... I would periodically have these epiphanies, oh, Scientology's great, and I would be back involved, and within literally minutes, I would really? think, I should, but they're so clever about, and then of course I was, I was in with a marvelous group of people, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are artists, and they are wise, and they are smart, and they are fun, and they are smart and intelligent, and they have great senses of humor, and we bolstered each other, and some of those people have left, as, as I have left, and some of those people are still in. Of course, I'm not in touch with them any longer if they're right. still in, because that's part of the stuff that Scientology yeah. insists on. You know what, it, uh, but by the way, if people are just tuning in, we're speaking with Sands Hall about uh, her book, latest book, Reclaiming My Decade Lost in Scientology. This reminds me of being in a toxic relationship where you, you want to end it, and then the person kind of convinces you, and you're, you're brainwashed, and you, you're not confident, and you stay in it. It's, un, it's exactly like that. Yeah. By the end, I sort of had, I mean, in writing the book, I, I almost envisioned this weird little helmet that I put on of my own accord. I can't blame anybody. <laughs> I put it on of my own accord, and it's like, you know, when you go to visit an oculist, and they say, you know, is this brighter, is this brighter? you kind of screw these mechanisms into place and you look at the world through this strange little helmet that makes things seem logical until they really don't and then you put and then you screw the helmet back on again i mean it was amazing that i lived like that and i was so deeply unhappy i lived like that for so long and um very you know was i applied to the iowa writers workshop to get a Master of Fine Arts degree in creative writing. I've been an actor, but I thought, I'm going to go after writing. And I felt, and it turned out to be so, that it was the geographical distance from Los Angeles where I was doing most of my studies in Scientology, as well as simply being on a campus where the whole point is to be curious, the whole point is to ask questions. That's what allowed me to finally begin to take that helmet off. Amazing. And just follow your own path and not be told what that's this is correct. what you do. And that's, you know, it, I think for women, that's, you know, especially of a certain era, that's hard in any case, but particularly when you're steeped in here's what you should do and here's what you should not. And to begin to trust your own faltering steps to take you someplace that will be valuable and, and correct for your life is really a huge step. 
So here's a question for you, because the theme of my show, well, the name is Get the Funk Out. Yes. How did you take care of yourself and believe in yourself and nurture yourself mentally, physically, emotionally? What did you do? <laughs> well, it's curious, but I think what I did at, in Iowa when I was at the workshop is I began to really look into Buddhism. Mm. And I began, and I had, when I had been involved, years before I'd been involved uh, in a wonderful theater program, the American Conservatory Theater's Advanced Training Program, and everybody in that era was into Transcendental Meditation. There was a whole room set aside where we could go and sit for our 20 minutes a day or whatever. So I remembered this halcyon period where I was meditating, so I went, although I didn't go back to TM, which I wasn't really a practitioner, I just meditated. That was a very essential thing, I think, was it's anyone who's tried to do it, it's like, you know, your mind goes and runs away with you. And just the simple sure. act of breathing with consciousness was, I think, a very essential thing. And when I moved to where I now live in, in Northern California, Sierra Nevada, I little by little, I dropped my singing and songwriting, which had been a huge aspect of my life before I got into Scientology, I dropped it out completely, and I began to be with friends who encouraged that. And I think that was a really huge way I began to put my, myself back together. I love and that. that and finding a small, wonderful community that welcomed me. And I hadn't, you know, because I'd left this community behind in Scientology, it was the first, oh, I have a community again, yes. which was huge. It's so important when you think about um, the field of uh, positive psychology is to have a social network. Oh. If we don't have that, you know, we crumble. I so agree with that. And I, that is something I don't have a partner at the moment, and that is something that I, I really take care to water that garden. I have, you know, let's have tea, let's come over for dinner, let's celebrate Robbie Burns by gathering and, you know, eating something faintly Scottish and drinking some Irish whiskey, <laughs> I mean Scottish whiskey, you know, trying to keep yeah. those, those um, things very, very alive, I think are, it's essential to happiness and contentment. And you know, it's interesting, I'm guilty of this too, where I don't have at times, you know, the desire to go out and be social and it's really important. And I think as a writer, you know, and I'm more of an introvert, uh, I know it's very important to have balance, well, I think people who know me would laugh to say if I think I'm an introvert too, but it's true that I can go. This fall is a really good example. I just didn't really go out very much. I stayed home. I worked on my music. I read. Mm-hmm. And it was an extremely important time for me to just gather. I'd been on the road a lot with the book, and there was just a time of, of gathering. So I think that that balance is essential. You can't, you really have to make sure you're taking care of that inner world as well. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yes. We have to wrap up soon, but give us an idea of uh, your writing process. I'm sure it's different for all books, but what about this one? Well, this one, because it was sporadic to begin with, um, I, I, it took me a while to get going into some sort of steady speed, and eventually, because I, at the time I was a professor at a college back east, so my time was really... Um, during the weeks were really hard. I would often put aside weekend days and just work all day long and just try. That was once I had a first draft. Mm-hmm. Um, but those aspects of how you organize time around a particular project, they just change so much. And pr- 
probably the biggest issue I grappled with with my memoir was structure. And one of the reviewers talked about how I toggle back and forth a great word between introducing my family and my growing up years and talking about this very, very specific moment in Scientology, um, which was the beginning of me beginning to say, I've got to, absolutely got to leave. And the structure, I really relied on uh, John McPhee's wonderful essays about structure because I needed the reader to understand a very particular dynamic that is mine so that they could actually bring their own experience to it rather than a generalized sort of sense. Because, of course, my experience is mine, and that's how I got involved. And that's worked, I think, I've really appreciated the letters I've received saying, I'm a man, and I'm completely different age, a completely different background, but I was able to um, track what it was that you were going through. And many people have said it's been an enormous boon to me, just incredibly gratifying that my talking about how to reclaim what I thought of as lost years have allowed them to see if there's a way to reclaim what they thought were their lost years. That's mm-hmm. been a really beautiful thing. So it was all rather, you know, you kind of work the way you can, but for me, structuring the book and figuring out that structure was enormous in the process of actually writing it. That's fantastic. Unfortunately, we do have to wrap, so let me throw out your website. It's sandshall.com. Anywhere else people can find you? I'm on Facebook um, as both writer and just as myself, and um, you can always go to my wonderful publisher, CounterPoint, and they've got some lovely stuff on their website as well. Great. And I put everything on my show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Thank you so much for calling in. Congratulations. Thank you so much for this interview. What great question. Oh, thanks. Have a great day. You too. Thank Bye-bye. You. That was Sands Hall, Reclaiming My Decade Lost in Scientology. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with another guest. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. <laughs> 